Hi guys, Tom from Stonewolf here. We're a UK-based fitness apparel brand who sponsor the Shire Fit team. We'll be releasing our brand new performance t-shirts on the 31st of August 2023 and they'll be available in teal and blue. They're performance-based because they're sweat-wicking and antibacterial. You can find these on our website, stonewolffitness.com and use the code SHIREFIT for 10% off. Hello everyone. We are back with the Sharfit podcast, and this is a very special episode, a bonus episode. We've got a guest, special guest, Jack Bletney with us, guys. The king of mindset to go through a um, run through of some of his mindset takes on our previous series for mindset. How are you doing, Jack? Thank you, mate. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Good to finally be on. It's been too, It's been a long time you've been doing this for now, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, it's been going a little while now. It's, how it's how, how successful now. is it? Do you feel like Joe Rogan? Pretty much, yeah. Actually, I turned down Joe this week. He asked if I'd come <laughs> on the show. But what were you going to talk about? Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jack, why would I regard you as the king of mindset? Um... You were regarded back in the day as I think uh, CrossFit athletes for mindset, weren't you? I don't know. I I, I wouldn't have thought so. I was probably was I regarded for not being that good or not being very strong. Probably that's about it. But I think um, more so probably just because of the experience I've had. I've just put my hand up and tried stupid things, and along the way you learn, don't you, from all those things. We were just chatting earlier, weren't we, about the gym stuff, all the mistakes, everything you go through is all learning process to get to where you get to. So. Yeah, I suppose that's probably why. Just saying, yeah, I'll try and do that and see if it works out. Yeah, it's a very humble uh, answer from a man who has competed at the top of the sport of CrossFit for a few years, um, smashed multiple world records, set up two successful gyms and the franchise for that gym. Uh, What else have you done, Jack? Been to on expeditions to all the corners of the world, past Royal Marine training and joined the Royal Marines, a man with lots of experience in difficult pursuits. So, uh, Do you regard the Royal Marines as, as a good accomplishment, Max? Well, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, a very humble answer from a man who has a lot to share about mindset. And um, I regard Jack as one of the strongest and toughest mindsets um, or having one of the strongest and toughest mindsets of people that I know, which coming from an elite parachute regiment unit, not like Marines. Okay. So Jack's very expensive. His time's very expensive. So we're going to dive straight into the podcast now. Um, and we've only got him for half an hour guys. So you're going to have to be quick. <laughs> what we're going to do, which is quite a cool format, I think is run through each of our episodes that we've recorded on the mindset series and get Jack's take on those episodes, tips, experiences, and, um, advice starting with the first episode, which was how to overcome lift anxiety. Um, and what we were talking about here was specifically, you know, having a set weight on the bar or, you know, a personal best weight and, potentially being nervous and allowing your nerves or anxiety in approaching that bag to get in the way. So how would you combat that sort of uh, challenge, Jack? Oh, I had that many a time, mate. It's what you, obviously when you messaged me about this, you sent the voice note about snatching. My, mine was snatching, trying to snatch a hundred and I was raw and technique wasn't great anyway. But um, in competition, I was always able to lift more and that's because you, you didn't overthink it so much. So I always found in comp, so as an example, my first proper competition was something, I don't think they do it anymore, called the Battle of the Midlands. So trying to find the fittest person in the Midlands, right? So, and uh, I turned up, had no idea what I was getting for, so I didn't have any CrossFit gear at the time. So I was wearing a normal vest and rugby shorts as classic and uh, some weird trainers, which I'm wearing now. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, my PBs at the time were like, snatching like 90, clean jerking, maybe like, uh, sorry, snatching 70, clean jerking 90 or something. And at the event, it was like a one RM for both. And I snatched 95, so I added 25 kilos on and then clean and jerked over 100. And that was because of the adrenaline of the event and the fact that 
in that time frame, I was just trying to throw weight on and not thinking about it too much. But I had a massive issue with trying to snatch a hundred, and it went on for a long, 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 long time. Uh, and I, I, for me, the key for that was persistence. And actually, the day I hit it was because I went into the gym, started warming up on it, and I just couldn't hit it. And I was hitting 95, 97 and a half, happy days. The moment a hundred was going on, it was messing my head. Uh, and I remember I failed it about. This is you're you're going to be very unhappy. With this so I failed it like thirty times, and I remember it was like on the thirty first time I hit it, and once I hit it, I could hit it. Then that was it. It just removed this barrier. So I quickly realised that actually there's this fake barrier that I just put up with significant numbers, whether it be PBs, double digits, triple digits, whatever you're aiming for, uh, and actually taking a step back and going, look, there's there's no difference here to to what I was trying to hit with ninety seven and a half. I've got to just change the mindset on it. So for me, it's like. Uh, especially nowadays, I don't think too much about the weight. It's more so I just go through the process of what I'm going to try and do with that weight, and it removes that. And and then you know the, that that fear that you get, that anxiety you get, it can be really good. You know how powerful that can be. It can give you that extra power, right? So I think you have to be somewhere in between there. You can't be like super chill. Ah, oh, so you know it's a hundred. Doesn't matter if I miss it. You want to hit it still. But you need to find, you know, we call it that arousal curve. You need to find that point that works for you as an athlete. And for me, it was always like tilting towards the over-aroused side and not being overly relaxed, especially going very strong. I had to get after that lift. Um, so a lot of it was just shifting the way I looked at the weight. And I think a lot of the things you're going to hear me talk, if we talk about some of the points you've done in the past podcast, is a lot of it's about shifting the way you look at it. That's the key. Um, so for me, with the lift, it was that. It was changing the, changing the way you look at it. And then making sure I still have that little bit of anxiety, not being too chilled out. Yeah, and, and you're so right. Like that little bit of anxiety probably helped you to get it in the end. So you need that. You need that little bit of nervous energy. Yeah. But, so you don't, don't you think I, nowadays we, we talk about, you know, I think anxiety, fear, nervousness. Um, and because we've got so, many, so much talk about removing it, I think now we're getting to a point where actually like we, we've gone the other side. And we need to we need to welcome some of it and actually accept it because it's a good thing and it can really really fuel us to do well. Um, there's been times where I had it and it's it's been a real adrenaline rush and that, and it's enabled me to accomplish something or get through something. Mega. Yeah, I remember you telling me that story about how you just went at it and at it and at it and at it and missing over and over again until you got there. Um, and yeah, it's not a traditional approach. Most Olympic weightlifters would probably cringe at that approach, but it worked. So, you know, a little yeah. bit of assistance, a little bit of management. You know, Max, I wasn't, you know me, mate, I wasn't the best Olympic lifter, was I? <laughs> I just, yeah, yeah any competition, I would just cross my fingers and hope there wasn't any one RMs in there. That was my rule. Um, next podcast, uh, sorry, next episode to talk through is um, titled Don't Listen to the First Report. And this was um, based around the concept from Jocko Willink, uh, who essentially described that the first situation report at war is often a lot a lot worse than the reality of the situation and that that transfers into our lives quite often and also therefore into our training quite often have you come across or experienced anything like this in your um career up to now yes yeah quite a few actually um more recently was when we did this row which was obviously in december so um eight months ago now uh, and so that was a crossing, trying to cross the Atlantic. So you leave from the Canary Islands and try and go across the Caribbean. And we were in a team of four. And I was, I was, I, I joined the team with about just over a year to go, and, and really lucky to have the opportunity to join because you know when do you ever get the opportunity to do something like that? And and also was lucky enough to skip with the team. And I'm sure it's fair to say our prep wasn't ideal. We had like two brothers, JC and Dan, in the team, really like own. Um, well, I say very successful businesses in London, very busy, you know, got families. Um, and then we've got, Mike, we had Mike as well in the team who's West Country. Also, had, he actually owned a gym, uh, owns a gym over in the West Country. And trying to get everyone together to do training sessions was so difficult. And also, you're in a little rowing boat, so you need the conditions to be quite good around the UK coastline because the tides are really, uh, really bad. So you get thrown, you get thrown away around a lot. So if you go out... Um, out at sea around the UK and the weather's bad, you, so you, I'm not joking, you might struggle to row the boat back in. You know, as an example, we did one row, we had really bad and we rowed out and we were rowing on the same spot 
for about five, six hours, not moving anywhere because we were rowing against the wind and tide. And all we were doing was trying to hold our position and wait for the tide to turn that would then help us get back in. So we would often meet up for training, get down to the coastline, and the weather was terrible because we obviously booked it in advance and we couldn't go out. It was too windy or whatever. So our prep wasn't great. We only did a minimal amount of training preparation on the, on the boat. And it was a bizarre feeling when we left the Canary Islands because we pushed off and started rowing off and, the, and there was quite a large swell. And the swell is not like waves, but the swell is like the way the water like goes up and down slowly. Like big, it feels like big like hills or mountains as you go over the water and go down. Um, we set off and it was really surreal because I remember thinking, oh my God, this is it now. We're actually in, we're in this scenario. And with the, you know, the excitement of it all, and we had to go really quick on the first day to get out of this bad weather, to try and catch this trade wind that cuts across the Atlantic. Because once you're in the wind, it's kind of like, without sounding like it's really easy, it's like cigar out, the wind's pushing you, you know, you're going to get across if you get into that wind, even if you just sit and relax. It'll take a long time, but you'll get across. So we went really, really hard for the first day. And on the second day, like we had hardly slept. Um, you know, Dan was um, seasick and fair play to him, mate. He was seasick and still rowing. He wasn't like just sat in the cabin feeling sorry for himself. So he, we were just doing it. And, and then on the second day, we we found that what we call the trim of the boat was like tip, the boat was tilting over slightly. And I, I couldn't think why. Normally it's because you pat the boat wrong. You put weight on one side of the boat too much. And if we hadn't, we packed it really well. So we opened up the things and we opened up one of them, mate, and the full container was full of like, I'd probably say over a hundred liters of water, which, uh, yeah, which is not good, mate. And, uh, what, what happened was there was a leak on the leak on the boat. And my first thing was like a dread because we have, we have a button that you can press that kind of like pull drives all the water out and it wasn't driving it out, which means there's a leak. So it's a proper leak. And I remember thinking, oh my God, and, and it was full and we were like in this crappy conditions, everyone was tired and I was like, we're only one day into this. And I'm, that was our, that was that one, that was that first report you talked about. Mm. And actually for me, it was initially it was a thought of dread, to be honest with you. Usually I'm quite optimistic, but I saw that, I was like, oh my God, we're, we're, we're. Yeah, go on, tell us what was, what, what's, what were you thinking? What were things? Um, well, I think, I remember the first thought was. Yeah, really, like things like we can't finish or. Yeah, oh, definitely. No, no, the first thought was, because, you know, I sort of said to the lads, my first priority as leader was safety of the team and then it was completing it and then the third one was also then making a fun experience so so safety was key and so i was thinking well we're going to have to either try and get organize a boat from the canary islands to come and pick us up and drag us back which number one is you know slightly embarrassing when you you know you're going to try and take on this big challenge and you get 24 hours in and you're getting towed back in again and then the second thing is, all oh, we have to try and turn and row back in, which is going to be really difficult just because of the way the wind and conditions were, you know, like I said, with the UK. So, um, and then the third one was like, well, actually, you know, this is probably over. I remember thinking, well, this is probably over because there's so much water in. But there was one, there was one thing that happened that like switched me straight away out of that mindset, um, which was JC just laughed. And he and another time, mate, JC, I'm sure he'll proudly say he doesn't have like tough hands like me and you, mate. Like uh, he had, he says he does, he's got office hands, and he had he's got the softest hands I've ever felt. Like he must moisturise or something. And mate, on the first day of the row, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but his his hands were like raw, mate. Like they were like blisters on blisters. So I was calling Michael Jackson because he was like he had gloves on, these weird fingerless gloves, and he was taping over his hands. It was hilarious. But he just started laughing. I remember thinking, and he laughed. And we wanted a we wanted a real challenge, didn't we? Yeah. I thought he signed up for yeah. Yeah, and I thought, you know what? And I thought he sat there with with hands strapped, hand gloves on, like blisters galore, <laughs> and laughing. So I thought, you know, shift it. And I remember just thinking, well, I should get out of that mindset and just go, what can we do now? Yeah. Um, I think part of the problem was I'd probably lumped on a bit too much, probably pressure on me because I hadn't. I hadn't trained the team well enough in in all the things to get across. I've taken those responsibilities up, which I think was probably the bad thing to do. You know that as a leader, you should always try and get the the rest of the team to take on different challenges with you. So, yeah, I think that was probably part of the reason. But we shifted it, and the first thing we saw, we've got to try and get rid of the water. So we had this hand pump, and we just hand pumped it out, and it took like five ten minutes, and we got rid of all the water. It's just literally like a foot, uh, like a um, like permanently tires. It just yeah. drives the water out. 
And uh, we did that and then we closed it and thought, right, let's just carry on rowing and see what happens. We rowed for X amount of time, another six hours, checked it and it filled nearly back up again. And we did it again and, and it worked again. And we rowed another six hours and we did it again. And we literally just did that. And, and, and what we would do is every X amount of shifts, we would just check it, hand pump the rest of the water out, shut it over and continue. So it was just like, you know, after that first thing of, oh my God, we were, this is it out. We just quickly found a pretty simple way of going, actually, we can fix this. And, you know, and, and now have a really cool story to tell where literally the team rode across with a, with a leaking boat. And actually, w- weirdly, the leak got better as we rode. So it started filling up less and less. Uh, but then we, we just to add to the story, we finished the row. And obviously, when you finish a row, you get to the port in Antigua. They lift the boat out the next day and you have to clear it out. And as we were clearing it out, um, there's like compartments under the rowing seats that hold some safety gear that you need. And they're really big. They're like 200 litre boxes kind of thing. And they were also both full of water, but we just didn't know because you never needed to go in there. So we we carried over, you know, we carried over 250 kilos of dead weight basically on that boat, which was only added to the challenge. But it, that that was a really good lesson for me, mate. One of the best ones I've had in terms of actually just staying calm when something goes wrong. Um, for me, I lose my head when something goes wrong that's out of my control. When it's something you know, something that you can't you you prep for as best as you can, or you know you can't fix it. So that's something where I, I don't like those situations. I get I, I get annoyed more than anything, really. Well, I hate to say this, but isn't one of the Royal Marine virtues cheerfulness in the face of adversity? Yes. Yeah, no, well, I know. I feel like I'm quite well known for that. And also, I'm impressed you know that as well, mate. You obviously, you obviously did some reading up, mate. It's fine if you could, you know, improve yourself. Yeah, well... I do know a few things about them. Um, yeah, JC showed in spades there, which is class. And yeah. I also think that's a really good um, demonstration of leadership and how, um, well, good leadership in a few ways. You for taking, first and foremost, your first thought is, I've got to keep everyone safe. What's the first safe thing that I need to do? And then also upwards leadership. People, people think it's always about down, but leadership can happen upwards as well. And JC had that leadership, that moment to just laugh and just go, oh, well, here's what it is. And it had a real effect on you and probably the rest of the group. Because um, all you needed was that to be, to get snapped back into your own mindset of actually, we're going to be okay. And I think that's class. Great story. Um, on to the next one then, the next podcast, which was titled Predator versus Prey. Um, and this we actually stole from the jiu-jitsu community um, or martial arts world where they say there's two types of people in the gym um, predator and prey predators have certain characteristics which are helpful i.e. they're willing to fail not scared of failure they're eyes forward looking at the goal looking at what they're trying to achieve and um, willing to try different methods and different ways to get there Prey on the opposite hand, uh, scared to fail, eyes to the side, um, trying to avoid difficult situations and only have really one plan and that's just survive. Um, where have you seen this predator and prey play out? Have you experienced it in your uh, cultures you've been a part of or teams you've been a part of in the past? Yes. Yeah, most definitely. For, for me, I went through a bit of a transition of those two things, actually, when I was in the military. Uh, I'm going to put it down to going through puberty, mate, because I didn't go through puberty properly until I was actually in the Marines. So I'm going to say that's what it was. My testosterone must have just suddenly increased. But uh, I went through training and the whole the whole training experience for me, going, you know, going through those, what was it, nine months, I think it is. And I spent the whole time scared. I was literally scared. I was scared of like messing up. I was scared of failing. I was scared of, you know, doing those things. And actually it transitioned into when I passed out of training and joined the unit to begin with. I had that as well. I had that whole prey mentality you just talked about, which was uh, I wasn't really gung ho. I wasn't trying to get after anything. I was just literally trying to support. Yeah, I was doing the minimum. Mm. And actually, the the big thing, and I I do this when I do some goal setting talks. I've been doing some in prisons recently, and one of the things we talk about is that it's different to the way you described. I like that way, but with um, for me in the military, opportunities were coming my way. So like people are going to me, oh, you know, why don't you can try and do a briefing course, um, you know, or, or go through selection, sorry. And uh, I was saying no, 
and I know now looking back, I was saying no because I was scared. I was scared of failing. I was scared of probably like showing that weakness or showing that I wasn't good enough or something like that. And uh, to be honest with you, mate, it's that quote, you know, the, um, the, your favorite, you like it. I think you've got it up in the cafe. Man, yeah. In Man, they're yeah. mate. Yeah. Weirdly, I came across that and obviously went through puberty as well, that also. And uh, testosterone increased. And, and it shifted the mindset. But, um, and I did start to set after that, go, you know, I can't, I, I, for, for most people, I would say there's going to be a reason why you're a prey. It's going to be different for everyone. So it's hard to give like tips because I'm going to do it off mine. And mine was always probably scared of letting, either letting myself down or letting other people down and looking stupid. So, so for me, it was transitioning out of that mindset. And I, and to be honest with you, you battle it all the time. It's not like you, you know, once you turn into a predator, that's it. You know, during that pull-up event, when you came down and kindly come and supported, mate, that, um, you know, before that, in the lead up to that one, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, because I think there was a few bits relevant to some of the other episodes, but I had, I, I, I would jump to fight getting into a prey mentality before that event, because I kind of knew, I knew that it wasn't going to be that, it wasn't going to go very well. Uh, and, and the shift for me was going, well, look, why am I concerned about what Dave down the road is going to say or, or speak, laugh on his, with his mates about me messing up or something, or someone's going to type online about it. And I think that's, I think that's an age thing, mate. The older you get, the better you get at not caring what other people think as much. Uh, it's very difficult. In my early twenties, my whole priority was that it was always like, what would other people thinking of what I was doing? And uh, unfortunately, that's not very fulfilling. And shifting out that mindset helped me change into that probably more. Let's get after this and chase it. Because there was probably more of a purpose there. So, you know, if you're, if you're, I'm not sure what you talked about in the podcast because I, I didn't listen to that one. But the, um, for me, it's more so find the purpose and then find out why why you're getting into prey mentality. What's the what's the what's the thing there and try and find a fix for that. And mine was learning actually. I've got to stop worrying about what other people think of me. Yeah, for, for those who are listening who haven't heard the quote, um, it reads, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error or shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who are the best in the end, knows the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Go on, Max. Let's go. go. I actually heard that at Sandhurst. Um, we would just lost an, a, a sort of into into house event or whatever into company event and our oc who was an irish ranger at the time came over and read that out to us and i was like that is class that is insane because we were a bit downtrodden that we'd lost you know and there yeah yeah um you're you've been in the arena a few times haven't you mate and i failed a few times as well mate. <laughs> yeah definitely yeah um, um the yeah well, let's we're going to go into some of the failures, I assume, hopefully in the in the next um, few episodes that we talk through. Um, but yeah, I mean, you are a real shining example of signing up for things that you're not entirely sure you can complete. Um, and you've had some along the way that have been challenging, haven't you? But yeah. like everyone says and everyone knows now, that the failures in those tasks probably taught you something that led to the successes that you've had elsewhere. Oh, most definitely, mate. Yeah, um, and actually, also some of the failures I've actually enjoyed more than the the successes have been in a bizarre way. Like you look back now and we talk about them. I don't really talk about them that much, or even the other stuff. So, it, it, you know, but yeah, definitely, mate. And every single one was only really enhancing that predator prey thing of realizing actually, like. Um, the failure hurts, it always does. You know, you know the feeling like, you know, we chatted after the semis and you know how you felt about that. It's gonna hurt. But at the same time, you're also so pleased you went through that and got the opportunity to do it. So yeah, so for me with any of the failures, I'll always put my hand up and say, I'll try and do something. That's because 
if I'm not engaged with something, I won't, I really struggle with like the training for it. So I'm not, I'm not someone that can be like, um, you know, like, like Goggins and get after it every single day. I have to have something that I'm engaged in, otherwise I won't really want to work towards it. And for me to be engaged in it, that's be a bit of fear that it's going to be tough to do. And then I'm like, okay, let's get, let's get, let's see if we can get this. And then, like you said, there's been loads, mate. There's been more, I've failed more things than I've, what you'd probably class as succeeded at. But, uh, but it's also definitely put me in better stead of, with time of, of going through those failures. Yeah. You, like I said, you've been there to see quite a few of them, you, mate. Yeah. Maybe you're a bad omen, Max. That's what it is. <laughs> Side note, just a funny story on that. When we went to go see Jack in the pull up world record attempt at Franklin's Gardens, is that right? Is that what it's called? Yeah, they've actually they've got a sponsor now, mate, because rugby oh. money wise and going great. So now the Cinch Cinch Stadium at Franklin's Gardens. Oh well, yeah. Previously the Franklin's Gardens. Um, we were at semi-finals at the time, virtual version because it was COVID. And uh, we arrived. We'd we'd done day one. We finished and sort of finished about three or four or whatever. And we drove across. It was quite a drive, maybe an hour and a half or something like that, two hours to come and see Jack because we thought it was, you know. Don't make feel bad now. Come on. Worthwhile <laughs> drive. Well, no, but as we arrived, we walk in and it was quite some event. You'd put on a right event. You know, there was sort of vendors there and drinks. It was more of a party, really. And you were just sort of chicking away, um, tipping away at those um, pull ups. And uh, I walked in the door and bearing in mind me and Jack have got the day two of the semi-finals um, the next day. I said something like, I can't remember the wordage, but it was something like, oh, I'm going to go over here. And Jack looked at me and he went, yeah, all right, then. let's get one. And I said, what do, you, what do you mean? He went, I thought you went, let's go get a beer. <laughs> So he was willing. He was going to have a few beers on your behalf, mate. So did you? Did you not? Did you get a beer in the end or not? No. no. And then I was like, no, mate. We're competing tomorrow. What are you on <laughs> brutal, 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 mate. brutal. Yeah, classic. Day. Yeah, I could have done with a few of them, mate. To be fair, at that event. Yeah, that was. Um, yeah. Well, look, I, I think like just to put context to it, the reason it was a big event, obviously, because of fundraising, right? So we, yeah. we, that was incredible because, like, that started. Yeah. Yeah, the most you've raised. What, what do you mean um, for that event? Or? Yeah. That event raised fifty uh, something thousand pounds. A lot of money, yeah. Yeah, so that was great. You know, some really, really amazing local businesses that got behind that, um, and and all got behind the event. And so, you know, in terms of like you said, the food vendor, uh, Marcel, the roastery, the coffee, Bella Barista, the Saints obviously allowed us to use the stadium, and we had like um, uh, audio team and DJs all come in. So it was a really, really cool event. It was great. I probably added to the the issues because relevant to that, mate. You know the I don't know how you explain it. I, I, I know I'm sad I've made notes because after you sent me that really good voice note explaining that, what it was about. But the, you know, the victim, pessimist, optimist, realist, warrior. Yeah, so that's actually the next next thing we're yeah, talking so, about. Yeah, episode four, which was the mental toughness framework. So that that's, was yeah. the levels: victim, pessimist, optimist, realist, and then warrior. Yeah, go on. I went for all of them, mate. <laughs> yeah, I don't, it, wasn't like, it wasn't like a, a natural mm-hmm. lot. I went up a bit, down a bit, up a bit, down a bit, all the, mm-hmm. the whole time. The story was obviously I said I'd do this event, the pull-up one, uh, or the chin-up one. Sorry, was because. Uh, the, the, I wanted to do something that was like the odds were completely against me because realistically mm. the charity we're doing it for the Saints Foundation a lot of the kids there unfortunately the odds are against them massively um, in the sense of you know they've, they've missed a lot of education whether it be financial opportunities parenting or, there's a vast array of different reasons why so I thought well, it might be a really cool message if I can do something that's maybe out, outside of the wheelhouse as you call it and, and chin-ups probably is something that and what, yeah well, I was going to say I'll dive in there what Jack's referring to there or alluding to is that he is a long gentleman with long noodle arms, zero biceps. <laughs> I can't even deny it. That's annoying, isn't it? Um, yeah, and, and in what Max didn't say there was easily over six foot. Yeah, too, he- uh, too heavy as well. What were, you, were you probably 90 kilos, 95 kilos doing that? No, I, um, oh, I, I, t- I sit around 100. 100, there you go. So not, yeah. So if you're going to get someone who does a chin-up world record, what do they look like? Five well, the guy, yeah, the guy that held it was um, South African, I'd probably say 60-odd kilos, mate, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, massive biceps with really short arms. So yeah. anyway, yeah, you're against the odds. A lot better looking than me as well. So 
yeah, mate, I, well, so I said, we're going to do it. And obviously started training for it. I had a pull-up bar, a lot of bolted onto the back wall in the garden. And it was obviously during, um, I think I think it was during the whole time during lockdown. So, so yeah, so I was just doing it in the back garden and like created an idea of what a program would look like, you know, your classic linear progression. So I started off doing sessions where there are 50 in them. And over six months got to the point where I was doing sessions of between 1,000 and 3,000 in a session. And, and it's amazing the way your body adapts. I know we're going off topic here, but like when I started, it was horrendous. Because I was just doing pull-ups every day with the accessory stuff I was trying to do with it. And I, to begin with, the first month or two, I was like sleeping was really difficult because if you laid on your lats and stuff like that, it's so painful. But then towards the end, six months later, I was doing sets of 1,000, 2,000, and you, I wasn't even sore. And your body just like, got used to it. So it was a really, really crazy yeah. thing of just how your body adapts to certain scenarios you put it in. But yeah, I was I was doing well. Training was going well. I think I totaled up about 60-odd thousand uh, chin-ups because we were doing like a tally to track how many I'd done. And, and then my final session was do 3,000 uh, four weeks before. And I was going to slowly deload in to then ready to do the event. So it was 3,000. And the goal was under 12 hours. So it was trying to do more than half the record and under the half the time. Because I knew then at the event, I think the adrenaline all that lot, it'd be all right. So, yeah, I did the 3,000. But just before the end, the maybe last 100, 200 to go, I started to get like this weird, like tingly pain in my shoulder. It was like across my pec and shoulder and bicep. Wasn't sure what it was. Carried on going. Didn't think too much of it because I finished the 3,000. And we did it, in like, I did it in like nine hours 50. So I was like, right, we're on track here. We're good. And then it was the next day I woke up. And I remember I went down. I went downstairs and I opened the door. And as I opened the door, I was like, oh, my God. It was like a sharp pain here. And I remember just getting that dread, mate. And that's where I turned into the victim, like, straight away. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, we've got this big event inside a stadium. We've raised this amount. Businesses are sponsoring it. You know, we had, like, Gymshark who were getting behind it and sponsored it. And I was like, oh, God, I'm going to look a right idiot here. So, yeah, it was panic. And then I remember I thought, well, look, I'm going to go to the gym and see how I'll do a few. And I did a few, mate, and it was really hurting. And I thought, oh, this is not good at all. Like, four weeks ain't long enough. And to try and sort that out. So, yeah, that, I actually did something. I came across something. You know you know that Tim Ferriss? I don't know if he's still going now with those podcasts and things like that. And he, he did one where he talked about fear setting. Whereas, like, if you have some kind of fear, you you define the fear. So my fear was basically, the, the, I think the fear, original fear, was not getting the world record. Yeah, yeah. failing. Um, so that was the fear. And then it, then what you do is you go prevent and you go, what can I do to prevent that fear from happening? So for me, it was like, right, I need to go and see physios. I need to sleep, rest as much as possible, work out how we're going to try and get through the event as best as possible. So I created this whole list of all the rehab stuff we're doing, went to physio. And then the final one is um, uh, define, define uh, repair. So if at worst case that fear happens, can you repair from the situation? And for me, I was like, well, yeah, if I mess up, but we still raise the money. Yeah. So I was like, actually, you know, although this is this is crap, because I put so much effort into it. I've never trained so hard for anything ever that as that event. But I thought we we're gonna raise the money. So so yeah, um, so that really helped. And I just went through the rehab process, but unfortunately, like it wasn't great. So for those three and a half weeks leading up to the event, I didn't do another chin up. Um, just because I couldn't, as in like I had to rest it, because every time it was tweaking it, and then we just turned up for the event. Probably in hindsight, I should have tried to postpone it and just do it smaller or whatever. But the money, you know, the event, you couldn't really say no to doing all that. It's a very cool experience. So, yeah. yeah. I imagine Saints weren't like, oh, yeah, you can just have the stadium. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, fine. That's yeah. It, yeah, exactly. You know, so. Um, as no, as mate, it was a, a valiant effort. And, uh, yeah, although you didn't achieve the actual goal of the world record, what you accomplished in terms of donations and the event and the hype around it was incredible oh that was great mate that was a lot of people helped with that to be fair i'm not that good on social but loads of people were great telling stories just to um dive into that the whole point in that episode that me and johnny did was that um it's unrealistic for people to expect to react positively to negative situations which is often put out as as the um gold standard you know for people like something goes wrong and they're expected to, you know, smile at it and go, oh, brilliant, I can learn from this situation. You've got Jack Fletney here who's, you know, got an incredible mindset and he's just told you, you know, that the, his first reaction to that situation was to become the victim. And actually the point of the episode was to discuss how 
we think that the speed with which you move through the levels is probably more important than actually what level you um, start at. You know, I don't think, for example, people in that situation, the same as you, with everything booked, all those people there to come and watch you, if they had an incredible mindset, are going to go, oh, great, I've injured myself four weeks before. No one does that. It's realistic, yeah. But what, what they might do is go, have a, a you know 10 minutes where they go Fucking, this is awful you know i'm gutted you know this is a bad situation victim pessimist well people always get injured when they do thousands and thousands of reps you know four hours later they're into optimists going maybe we can still raise a load of money you know four hours like after that they're into realist mode and they're going sometimes you know people get injured doing events that's just that's just life it's just what happens whatever i can do i'll make the best out of the situation and then probably now post that situation you're in warrior and you're going i learned a lot from that situation i learned how to you know that that technique fear setting you learned because of that situation all these things you, you got the silver linings oh definitely mate yeah the um that's a really good point that transition like I, I turned up to that event like warrior mate like i was like i was ready to go deep into the pain cave like i'd meant to you know you go for that prep don't you and yeah you know i was like there were there was this side of it where I was like, I'm going to go in and really attack this. I'm going to, I'm ready to hurt and, I, and I'll hurt myself like, you know, over a medium term of time in order to see what we can do. Yeah. Um, but then there's also that you, you fight in that battle, the other side, which was like, you've got this injury. You probably, you know, it's going to be difficult to get the record. So during the event, I went in warrior man, and went really, you know, tried to attack it. And we got, it, it went all right, actually. The first half. Yeah, I was like, did. How many pull-ups did you do? Uh, up, sorry. I think it was nearly four, nearly can't remember now it's like three i think it was like 3700 3800 something like that um Crazy. but but to, you know the context was I, I flipped from warrior to realist about the 12 hour point so i got to 12 hours and we were halfway over halfway of the record yeah and then uh, you know, from hour 12 to 21 i was heavily dosed on some painkillers and stuff but uh but i, I think i'd accomplished like another 700 chin-ups in that nine hours Mm. So um, that you know that was where realist came in. I just couldn't get a chin up at the twenty one hour point. I was like, well, I've got we're gonna have to call it here. So yeah, definitely, mate. There was a that was a that was probably the toughest men like mentally I've dealt with like the as in terms of the challenge of it than any of the other events. Yeah, yeah. On to the fifth episode, which was about learning to deal with different levels and amounts of stress at different times, and how CrossFit in general produces nicer people because they can deal with these levels of stress how have you seen that play out in your life or other people around you Jack? yeah well that's a, that, when you said that to me i was like that, that's such a cool way of putting it and it's it's probably very true as well i think i don't, I don't think it's just like a, a quote but the for me i was lucky enough to obviously open a gym so I, I think i saw lots and lots of people go through that and i always found that actually when you know you get people that join and they like start flying for the first six months i and often i remember used to think in my head i don't think this is physical i think this is a mental transition to begin mm. with and, yeah. and you could see people like learning how to push themselves better and deal with like you said that stress because um you know that that is exactly what it is if we talk about what mentality is for me so if you said to me what's mentality or having a strong mentality i'd literally go the ability to deal with stress or pressure yeah um, so so yeah you saw that in people and and I, I always like to think that transitions outside of the gym as well do you, do you think it does from your you, you know you've got more experience for me now as, as, a, as a gym owner and, and seeing people go through the training absolutely yeah yeah um I think that be, yeah, being able to react to situations is react positively into situations is one of the key life skills that you need. And I think that the training that you cross the style of training that CrossFit is teaches people that lesson very quickly. It teaches people like, you know, if you go absolutely. So for example, in that situation where you found all that water in the boat, if you went absolutely crazy in that situation and started, you know, heading back, that wouldn't have been, you know, a successful outcome. Actually, you need to just sit with the difficulty for a little while and deal with it. And then, you know, long term, you have to deal with the water. So you have to put more work in. But you were willing to accept that stress and take it on board because you've probably been in workouts in the past where things have got a little bit harder than you thought and you've managed to fight through. And I feel like there's a lot of profound lessons in training 
obviously I'm biased because I'm a gym owner and a coach and I love training myself, but I feel like those lessons carry over to people. And you can actually see a lot of people who do arrive and they freak out, you know, first session or something and let's say something goes wrong, they tear their hands or I don't know, like they can't do a movement anymore and they panic about it. And then it's our job as coaches to teach people, you know, that in that situation that, you know, you just find a way, there'll be a new way of doing it, find a way, maybe you have to scale back, you can keep moving. There's all these different like methods and ways of getting around situations. And I think that, yeah, you learn a lot from those times in the gym. And I do think they transfer outside as well. And I do think that in general, in general, CrossFit gyms and communities are nicer than normal gyms or potentially other communities. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Did you get any feedback from members from that podcast saying like, I don't know if you or, or have you asked members about whether they think that was transitioned? Yeah, quite a bit, actually. Yeah, a few messages saying I completely understand that. And, I've, you know, I felt that change myself. Um, the, 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 the only counter argument is to, to the nicer thing is also culture, like the culture you create at the gym. Like, you, you know, you guys have done that incredibly. I always enjoy coming up to visit you because of the culture you've got there, you know, everyone is you, you, from day one, you've instilled it. Of, I think it's just probably caring and being friendly, isn't it? Um, I go in there and I, you know, I, I don't know 99% of the people at the gym there. Every time I walk in, everyone's always saying hello. Everyone like introduce themselves. It's like, it's nice. So yeah, I think, I think the other side to that is don't just say, cause you, you, you thrash them or make them work. It's also, I think, cause you've built this, this culture. And that's Yorkshire as well. People are friendly up here. Yorkshire, the further you go north, isn't it? That's what I've heard. <laughs> uh, episode six was um, about alter egos and trigger switches and um, we discussed the likes of Tyson Fury and his alter ego the Gypsy King mm. and we also discussed a key moment in my coaching career where you uh, told me that I was the best when I stepped out on the gym floor to coach that class I was the best coach in the world to deliver that class because I knew those people better than even the best technical coaches um, and that was a real sort of moment that you said, you know, when, and I took it on board was when I step on that gym floor, I am, you know, the best coach in the world. And it allowed me to deal with my lack of confidence at the time. So yeah, that was an example of a trigger switch that we gave. Have you got an alter ego, Jack? And have you had any trigger switches in the past, maybe crossing the white lines or something yeah. like that? I, I, I wouldn't say I've got like one that I name. Have you got a name for your coach in Max Kamazi of you or not? I've got an, I've got a name for uh, when I'm competing. My brother says he sees it every now and then. He names it. He calls me the Mad Horse. Mad Horse. Yeah. Where's that come from? Uh, I don't know where it came from, but he just literally one day was like, when I seen you doing that workout, you're just like a Mad Horse, just like churning yeah. through the work, you know. And so I like, I take it for myself and go right, God be the Mad Horse in this one. Um, that's really interesting, mate. I, I, I've I watched some of that Netflix thing with Ty, with Tyson. I mean, you've seen it yet, but it's really interesting. And you kind of see that mentality with him when he's in the gym. And it made me think when I was watching it, because like, you know, this training he was doing didn't look like, you know, you like the gym stuff they were doing. It was just a bit like, you know, if you, if you saw it, you'd be critiquing not world it. Class, yeah. yeah, it's not world-class, except like he is incredible. Like, is it like as a, as a, as a boxer, he's unbelievable, isn't he? And I realized actually, like I was watching that and the first thing I thought in my head was, it's all, all of it's like, you know, there's a there's physical ability and there's the talent and the time and effort he's put into his boxing skill. But so much of that is mentality and that like yeah. so much of it is like, and you saw that with him. He had the, he had the, he, he has this unbelievable confidence, like literally unbelievable that no matter what people say, no matter what happens to him, he just goes in and he's just like, nah, I'm, uh, I'm the one. And you can see when he's training, even though the training didn't look amazing, he's just like, I'm the one. And so, yeah, I was, I was really interested. I recommend watching it if you haven't already. Um, so, no, I don't have an alter ego. I, with, with rugby, for a while, I did. And I think it's because of my stepdad when I was playing rugby. Because I was, uh, you know, I, I probably when I was playing, I, I lived off the fact that I was skillful. So I had good passing, good kicking. Um, and, and then the only time my stepdad would say I played well, which is, this sounds bad now, is if I'd injured someone. <laughs> so as an example I remember I remember and I think this is again through trained over years obviously him be on the touchline he'd give me a thumbs up if like I put a big hit in where right. I hurt you know it'd be fun. Yeah, I remember I, I broke someone's leg when we were like playing mini it's only young and and I was few and reason that happened I was furious because 
this lad had like shoved a load of mud in my face, like in the middle on the bottom of this rut. We were playing against a team called Daventry, Max. You might remember them, but um, and uh, this lad like got a load of mud, shoved it in my face in the bottom of this rut, and I come out and I was fuming, man. And he, it was a tap and go, and it, it, he caught the ball, and I just blew into him, hit him hard. Um, and, and yeah, and he, he had to get like lifted off and chest off. And then my, my dad took me to JJB Sports. You know, JJB, I don't think they're going anymore, are they? But took me yeah. there and put me a brand new pair of Adidas Predators for doing it. Well <laughs> so done, Jack. Good boy, <laughs> Yeah, so he trained me with that. So yeah, I did, to, I did for a while. I had this whole like thing where I was overly aggressive. Uh, and I remember my first game at Wasps, I was like super over aroused, like in the changing rooms, like. I think we were, I can't remember we were playing now. It was obviously the academy team. So one of the teams there and I was like super, super roused, man. I went on the, I went on the pitch and literally first, first rucks are kicked off. They caught tackle and I'm, you got to think I'm playing scrum half and the mm. first ruck, I just went flying in before our mate, take someone out and I got yellow carded straight away. And I remember coming off and I was like, oh no, I've done. And, and at the time I wasn't that good compared to the other, the other nines in the academy. So I remember thinking, I just give an opportunity. I've just messed that up there. And afterwards, I used to have to have like, like not relaxation lessons, uh, like stuff before kickoff. They used to have me do these different exercises to try and calm down a bit. Um, and that was a, again a great lesson in terms of control. And now, if I play rugby, like when I played rugby a few years ago, uh, and I play so much better because I'm like, I go across the line. I'm, I, I, I'm more confident in my own abilities. I'm like, I'm, I'm able to control my aggression. And uh, the last game I played actually was for Kettering, um, which I believe that's your club, isn't it, Max? Is that your club? Kettering boy, yeah. Yeah, Kettering, sorry, not Kettering. Kettering. I'm born in Bed- I'm, bo- I'm born in Burton Latimer, Kettering. So, yeah, uh, yeah. so I played for them. And I remember I played the game and I felt so, even though I played for years, I just really, I, I, you know, you just find that flow. And I found that flow and I just felt great. Like, and everything went well. And I think a lot of that's confidence, and I, and I suppose that probably aligns the alter ego. But no, Max, I have no mad horse. I, I've talked about going feral in the past if things go tough, and I have this switch that I'll flick, and I'll just literally, you know, I'll just in something I'll just count one rep at a time. Like I, mm. on this Iceland crossing, there was bits where I was pushing the bike at one of the mountains. I was literally counting steps and just going. I was counting ten steps at a time, and then I'd count another ten, and, I, and that's all I did for a few hours just to get over. Um, but yeah, no, no, I might have to make one now if you said that. I'll make one for you. <laughs> that was what he said. All, it? <laughs> okay, uh, episode seven was dealing with losing gains. We're talking with a man who was <laughs> a very, very good crossfitter, switched his focus on to beating ski world records, switched his focus on to being the best pull upper in the world, chinupper in the world, switched his focus to more aerobic did a did a triathlon uh, an Ironman triathlon um yeah basically Jack's done it all in terms of like body shapes and size and 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 being in different phases of training so yeah how, how have you helped coped with dealing with um gains during different periods of training different goals yeah, to, to be fair man I haven't actually like with, the, with CrossFit stuff it's quite demoralizing like it's difficult to do it I'm going back into it now because you go back in and I'll join in a session and like your numbers, your, your things you could do are like nowhere near where they were, you know? So yeah. Um, but the, the way I do it is I just, I literally have like, a lot of it's just being honest with yourself and go, well, look, you ain't going to be, I know I'm not going to be very, very good at that stuff because I haven't put the hours in I used to. Um, body's changed with like, you know, being away the last two and a half months, I'd lost a load of weight. So I went back in the gym and I'm not strong anyway, but all the numbers went down. So I literally just look at it as, as, as right, well, I've pressed the reset and it's new, you know, they're new PBs now and it's being patient and not really rushing. And uh, as an example, like, so when it comes to anxiety, I, 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 I read this book after I did the MDS, someone recommended it. And forgot about that as well, Marathon Sablers, yeah. Yeah, the 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 ref the 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 books the whole thing of the book context of the book was if you have any kind of anxious marathon through the desert. Yeah, yeah. The um the whole thought of the book was if you if you have any kind of anxious thought, you are the one that's putting that in your head. No one else. And if you actually spend a literally a millisecond thinking about that, it's actually pretty eye opening. Because you would think 
we're waiting it, yeah. And I, I read it, and it was so ugly for me. So any kind of stress or stressful thought you have in your head, like, oh God, I'm not good enough here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fail. No one else is telling you that. You've, you've just tell it, you've put that in your own head. And, and the first step of conquering that is actually knowing that and going, I've put that in my own head there. No one else has put that there, I've put it. And then it's going, well, I need to do something about that, stop it from actually happening, you know? So, um, yeah, so, so for me with this, it's the same thing. I, I did a workout two days ago, um, which was like 21.59 thrusters and burpee of a bar. And it was horrendous, you know, absolutely horrendous. And I remember thinking, I used to be able to do that workout in like four minutes, something, and it took me, say, six or seven. And I was thinking, geez, like, you know, I remember thinking that I'm nowhere near where I was. But at the same time, like, well, I'm also very lucky to be able to do this right now. And there's nothing stopping me from getting back to that if I want to put the hours into it. So I just treat it like a reset, mate, with the training. Mm. Um, and more than anything, you know this, mate, like, when you do, when you're working towards something, that's the enjoyment, that's the enjoyment part. It's not actually getting it. So when it, when, you know, if you think about getting a PB in your lifts and stuff, say like, you know, when you, when you eventually get a hundred max for your snatch, when you get there, all that training is the stuff you're enjoying right now. But I don't, you, you're by, you're ready to go. I can see it. Go on. <laughs> Just for context, I have snatched hundred, over hundred. <laughs> um, no, so yeah no do you know what actually i think that's a really good answer mate to be fair because you've been you've been real there and you've told everyone you still go through those feelings you still go not where i was you know and that is on multiple different areas for you probably not where you were aerobically before you did the marathon desablers probably not have the chip you won't ever have that chin up ability again we know back when you were training for that probably you know not as good as you were at CrossFit at one point, you know, that's my little dig back here. Um, but you've been real and said, I get those feelings, but then you've also explained that you just real about it and rationalize it and go, well, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be, I haven't put the time in. You've been honest with yourself and said, you know, this hasn't been the focus of my training recently. And so it's fine. And you don't record it as a loss. That's what I think is really important. And we did discuss that in the episode with um, Johnny is when you record things as losses, it's very damaging, you know, and it's easy for you to go. And it's not making excuses. It's being realistic and saying, I've been training for the marathon disablers. My squat clean is going to go down, you know, that's fine. And it's not a loss. And it doesn't mean if I didn't follow a six month training for a squat clean, I couldn't get back to where I was before, or maybe even better. Wicked. Okay, we're on to our final episode, Jack, which is a big one for you. Um, because these were your bread and butter, mate. How do you prepare mentally for tough workouts? And I feel like, you know, back in the day when I did used to see you compete in, you know, all different competitions, all different levels, the harder ones were the ones you performed the best in. Um, so what was your sort of techniques and tips for people when they're facing difficult workouts? Yeah, the I think I think a lot of the time was because those workouts are just well suited to me. They're the ones uh, I, I was good at naturally. But uh, yeah, you, you know already those ones. That's where mentality really does come in, doesn't it? it? This is difficult to give advice for because experience, like advice, is always based off your own individual experience, isn't it? So, um, and what works for me. So I have lots of different kind of tricks and things that I'll deploy when I'm doing these kind of workouts. But something you said a minute ago was really relevant, which was about creating wins. And I, I know it sounds this sounds way too basic, but it's all I do. I literally I try and switch any losing mentality into a winning one. And it's just what I reframe the way I look at it. So we talk about that with dealing with these different pressures. So um, it, as an example, on this prison course that I do, we go in and I'll put them in like a majorly stressful situation immediately. So I'll, I'll literally walk, I'll walk into this classroom and this classroom's got no windows. It's super hot. And I, I walk in, say hello to them, introduce them, learn all their names and that. And I ask them to move the tables off to the side and I make them do death by burpees. So I literally, from minute one, so so they do one burpee in minute one. So it makes it awkward in the room. I don't play any music and there's no clock on show. I just use my watch and they can't see. And I don't tell them when the next minute's coming up. I just go, go. And that's all I'm saying. I don't cheer them on. And what I'm doing is I'm creating as much pressure as possible. And then we watch and then watch how all of the lads react. And it's really interesting because you get a vast array, you know, some like quit, some try and cheat, some um, 
some like react negatively or get aggressive or angry at themselves or whatever. And then at the end of it, once we've done the workout, um, we'll sit and we'll go, you know, what kind of, what kind of stresses did you deal with there? And what was going through your head? And it's really funny, you know, the ones that do well are the ones that go, I, I was thinking about getting to the next minute. Yeah. About yeah, the next minute, yeah. And the lad and the lads that didn't do well were like, or cheated or lost their, you know, lost their head or whatever. It was all a ne- it was always negative thoughts. So it's a really easy lesson. So we list it on the board and we go, well, look, like, and then, and then we go, well, how do we reframe it? So, right, you know, as an example in a workout, if I'm in a real crap situation, I, a good example is that Ironman. You just said that I was aerobically good for it. I wasn't, mate. I, that, was a, that was a bet, wasn't it, to try and prove some, like, just as a bit of a joke, to not train for it. And it was that was also horrendous. But when I got on to run after, after the bike, I couldn't run. I was like a penguin. I was like, I was in a lot of pains. I was cramping. I didn't know about nutrition. I hadn't eaten the thing for the whole time. I'd been on the swim and the bike. So I started running, and instead of me thinking, I've got you know, it was four laps of like, what was it? What's what's the marathon? It's twenty six, isn't it? Twenty six point four miles. So four laps of six and a bit miles. And instead of me thinking, I've got twenty six odd miles to go. When when I started running, I was waddling. I just started reframing it and I was going, right, and and, it, and I was going, get to this point and a mile. And I was going, get to this point. So it felt like I was winning. And then when it got tougher, genuinely, those points just got smaller. So there was, mm. like, there was trees along the river that we were running along, like every 10 metres. And I was just using the trees. I was going, get to that tree. So instead of me thinking, I've got a marathon to run, I've only done two miles, say, I was going, I was going, I'm going to get to this tree. And I was like, yeah. And it felt like I was going through positive checkpoints. Um, so I do the same. I do the same in CrossFit workouts as well, especially like you said, those longer ones where you historically. I think there's two types, isn't there? The workouts when it comes to mental toughness. You've got the longer ones that that are going to hurt for a long time. And you have to stay consistent throughout. And in those, I'm, I'm task at hand and I'm quite good at pacing. So I know the kind of pace I want to sit at, and I'll go and I'll break it down loads. The reps in my head. So if it's 30 reps, I'm not doing 30 reps. I'm doing three sets of 10. And when I say, I don't mean putting it down, I'll try and do it broken, but I'll go, I'll count to 10 and I'll just count to 10 again. I'll count to 10 again. I do that exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Um, 21 and you don't want to do it. 21 is unfathomable. I'll just pick the bar up and start working. I'll say, get to 11. Yeah. And when I get to 11, I'll go, go get to 15. Why do you say 11? So I've got a reason why I say Yeah, it's more than halfway, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it really annoys me, and, I don't, and, and this sounds bad, mate. When I see people, if they're doing like a set of 21, and they'll put it down after like nine reps, because what they've told themselves is they're going to put it down again before yeah. they get to yeah. 21. Yeah. Um, so, so, and, and that's it, you know, just doing mate, extra reps. Really bold, by the way. Such good. I'm just going to cut in, if you don't mind, and just yeah. summarize for the members, because it's huge. Jack Fletney's number one tip for dealing with difficult workouts is to break the workout down into smaller goals, checkpoints, and then tick those off. And as it gets harder, if it gets even harder, bring those checkpoints in closer. And I think that's absolutely brilliant advice. It's, it's super simple, isn't it? But it works. In those workouts, like you said, which are more sprinty, say like the 21s, or if it's, I'm trying to think workouts that would be really tough for me, like the heavier ones, like moving a heavy barbell for, Say like a twenty-one fifteen nine. You know, in my head, I'm, I'm like you said, there, I'm going for eleven, and I'm going to fight to get to eleven because I know if I can get to eleven, I'm going to get the next set done as well. And then, like, and do, do, you know, I, I think I used to say this to you a lot, Max, when you were starting to get into the competing scene. If you want to be really good at CrossFit, actually, it's not about how rapid you cycle through the barbell or how quick you are on the row or in the transition. Like the 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 key is you rest less. So mm-hmm. if you can rest less you're going to be so much more efficient and better. So um, so that's what I always used to try and aim to do. Like if I had to, if I knew I was going to put it down the 11 to in a set of 21, I'd step back and, or even not step back. And I know I'd be counting back on that bar straight away mm. or, or something to, to, you know, if we videoed, say someone, let's say you videoed me doing a workout nowadays, like at 21, 59, I'm obviously going to need to rest more. She'd see it. Like I, I, if I every time I put the bar down, I'm wasting 10, 15 seconds. You think if you do that six times in a workout, you know, you've, you've added over a minute to your time straight away. So mm. that was always something I was always looking at as an athlete. I was like, how can I become more consistent? And mm. I learned that from watching Rich Froning, mate, to be fair. Like, it was no, um, so strong at 
that one that comes to mind is that 10 rounds of, uh, I think it was like eight snatches, light snatches, and then 10 burpee over bar. Yeah. And I think what, what you're saying there is people in that workout will start by thinking about the 10 rounds. Yeah. Then it'll get hard. And when it gets hard, they'll keep thinking about the 10 rounds, but Jack Fletney wouldn't. Jack would think, get to the next round. And then when the rounds get hard, just finishing the round gets too hard. Jack Fletney wouldn't think about finishing the rounds. Jack Fletney would think, just get through the snatches. Yeah. And then when the snatches get hard and you can't go and break on them anymore, Jack Fletney's going to think, just get four done. And then when he's done four, he's not going to put the bar down. He's going to go, do another two. And then he's going to get to six and he's going to go, there's only two left. You know, and it's crazy to, if someone could play that, those thought processes through. I think that's a really interesting framework, a really incredible bit of advice for people. And then it's about having this, that noise that you're telling yourself, making that loud, isn't it? Making, blocking out all the other stuff. Oh, it hurts. My grip's blown. Yeah. We're watching. I'm only, I've got nine minutes on the clock and I wanted to finish this workout in 10. You know, you've got to block all that out and just go to that one clear voice, one more rep, one more round, whatever. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it, mate. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're making losses, wins. And you, you, we, I, I talk about like that, that stress. I talk about having a shield. All of you got like a stress shield around you. There's only so much it will take, and then, and then it breaks. And it's about training that shield to be a bit better and stronger, de- uh, bouncing that stress off. So yeah, and and you know, a good example in that workout, say, is like when you've done five rounds and you're halfway. There's two kinds of people there, aren't there? Yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's 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 one kind that goes, I'm only halfway. Yeah. And then, then there's the other kind that go, I'm halfway. Yeah. 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 There's a difference. So, um, so yeah, so that, you know, they're, they're the tricks. If I was, that's exactly what I'm saying, mate. If you're going to say to me, give me one tip for developing that is it's making losses, wins. And, and when you're on that positive train, I'm not telling you it's like, oh yeah, it's all lovely dovey. You know, it's going to be tough, but because you're still task at hand driving through, but you're not you're not clogging yourself down with stress that's not you you know as an example if you're thinking in your head oh i've got six rounds to go i'm I, i'll be going yeah you have got six rounds to go so you might as well get it done like there's no mm-hmm. point you know you, you having that thought is not going to make you any better not going to make you go quicker so why think it yeah that's class mate what an incredible way to finish i think that's absolute gold um advice thank you for your time i know you're a busy yeah. man yeah, it's um, always good to chat what uh people follow you don't they jack now because you're an influencer um where do people find you and what you're up to because you're up to some incredible things at the moment well actually at the minute so we just i've just come back from doing the crossing of iceland which is something we'll hopefully offer in the future for people to come and join us on which is amazing like really really good um and i'm back to drawing board with some new challenges in terms of you know fundraising ones there's only so many you can do before people get bored of donating. So we have a bit of a gap for the next one. Um, but, uh, and also, uh, you know, I, I'm 31 now. So I've got to also work out making sure I'm financially stable for the future. And so, um, so we're just in the, currently in the position of building this expedition company that we're going to launch in, in a few months time. So we, um, everything's working behind that, you know, a bit like you, your business 24 seven, trying to look like, get it all going. So that's what I'm doing at the minute. We'll have some more info on that stuff, which is really exciting because it's cool doing stuff on your own and doing challenges, but actually it's really, really fun introducing people to that and, and, you know, going through things like we talked about today. Yeah. So yeah, that's where, really where exciting. people follow you on that, Jack? Is that on Instagram or you got a website? Or what? Yeah. Well, no, that, that, that's just on social at the minute, but I say social, I don't really post. Or I, I will, I keep saying I'm going to start posting more stuff, but we will launch it online as in like, you'll see it over social media and stuff when, when, when it all goes live. Sorry. What's your Instagram handle? I think it is just Jack Fletney. Yeah. Jack Fletney. Yeah. If you want to see a post once a month about somewhere. <laughs> about some event outdoors. And- <laughs> no, I'm joking. There's a lot of exciting stuff to come with Jack. Uh, and I really thank you for coming on the show, Jack, and sharing your mindset tips with our members. I'm sure um they'll learn a lot from it yeah any feedback or like you know counters to that would be cool to hear as well because it's you know we've, we've talked about stuff we think's right but people might say that and work for us so it'd be cool to hear that as well so yeah let us know thank you mate thank you for listening to the shire fit podcast with max and johnny don't forget to like and subscribe and we will see you next week for another episode
Hi guys, Tom from Stonewolf here. We're a UK-based fitness apparel brand who sponsor the Shire Fit team. We'll be releasing our brand new performance t-shirts on the 31st of August 2023 and they'll be available in teal and blue. They're performance-based because they're sweat-wicking and antibacterial. You can find these on our website stonewolffitness.com and use the code SHIREFIT for 10% off.